0: Reading from the 25th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with the 14th verse. Jesus is speaking. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold. To another two bags. And to another one bag. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. And gained five bags more. So also... The one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness." Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance." Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So you might have been thinking to yourself, I've heard this story before. What he gave them was talents. I remember that. I remember that from hearing this text read in scripture, scripture readings in church before. And you would be right. The Greek word that is translated here, bags of gold, is the word talents. Or talent. Plural talents. But the NIV changes it because talents have come to be something that we're gifted with, Right? You're talented at something, so people say you have a talent. You see that on American Idol, on The Voice, on all the TV shows. They'll say Right before they tell them you're not good enough for the show, they'll tell them you're really talented. Seen that before, right? So you know what that means. Someone might say you have a talent for talking, you have a talent for singing, you have a talent for fixing cars. Some people have a talent for all kinds of things. Some people have myriads of talents, and some people are talentless. Unfortunately, I've known people who claim they didn't have any talents, but very often if we examine their life, we will find something that they are innately good at, right? You ever known somebody who was just freakishly good at math and it didn't make any sense that they, one person could be so good at math? I've known those people. Jennifer one. Talents. It came to be thought of as something that you're good at because of how people interpreted this text for so long. We can moralize this text. Moralizing a text means that you make it be where this is about what we should do. right? We read this and then we apply it by saying, if we do this, we'll get into heaven. I want you to notice Jesus didn't say technically anything here about going to heaven. This is a story about the end of all things. This is a story about the judgment. This is a story about a master who goes away and comes back and expects those who follow him to be... What's the right word to use? We might be tempted to say successful, right? I mean, the first guy, he gets five, he doubles it, gets five more talents, five more bags of gold, so technically he's been successful. Would everybody agree with that? I think that's true. Second guy... Same thing. He he gets the two bags and he goes out and does stuff with them, and he produces two more bags of gold. And we might say, well, he's successful, but not as successful as man one or woman one, servant one um, was much more successful. But if we were to compare the two, we would say that they were both likewise faithful. Is that fair to say? They were faithful. So much of what is hammered at us these days is that we must find a way to be successful in the world. And so much of that is hammered to us because the world, particularly American capitalism, needs for us to be successful so that we can feed the system. It's not a criticism of capitalism. It is what it is. But that's the very truth. When someone isn't successful at something, we look at them and we ask, what's wrong with them that they can't achieve something, right? What's wrong with this person that they can't get ahead, get right, do right, make good grades, get a scholarship, go to college, get a master's degree, get a doctorate, and be a brain surgeon? Why is this person not able to do that? And we begin to dismiss people because they don't have the same talents that we have. And some of that was created because of how this text has been read through the years, particularly in American Protestantism. But it hasn't always been read that way. In fact, it's often been questioned whether or not we should read this as allegory at all. Should we look for who is Jesus in this? Because clearly none of us, I don't think any of us who are gathered here whether we're on Facebook or whether we're in person would stand and say that we're here today because we believe that God is a hard man who extracts where he did not sow. None of us would say that we believe God is hard and unable to love and unable to be compassionate and unable to understand fear. And then we have a reason for that, because God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. The cross hanging behind me is in fact a reminder that God is love. That God is not a hard master. So if we were going to jump into this and start divvying the cards up and saying, this guy's Jesus, this guy's me, this guy's you, because clearly you don't have talents, or whatever we would do with that, we would in fact be wrong. This parable is aimed at the same people the last two parables I preached at were aimed at. People who refused to follow Jesus. Do you hear that, church? This parable is aimed at people who refused to take up their cross and follow Jesus. People who instead chose to preserve their religious position. To, res- to preserve their popularity, and to preserve their political position more than anything else. Because if they had chosen to follow Jesus, they most surely would have lost their seat on the council and not been part of local government anymore. And so Jesus aims this at them. Because those people, those religious professionals who were like me—priests who showed up at the temple to offer prayers for others, to offer sacrifices for others—people who were meant to teach the people the way of Christ and the world. Excuse me, the way of God and following God. The way of Christ is the way of God, but I'm operating in different systems, so forgive me for that. But they refused to see in Jesus the one who is the one for whom the temple is built. So Jesus, standing there outside the temple that day, calls them to the carpet. Because they lack faithfulness. Not success. Faithfulness. They had all the success anyone could ever want. But what they were doing, Jesus is saying, is they're taking the promises of God and burying them in the earth. Now, in Jesus' day, burying money was an acceptable way to keep money. Today, the IRS gets a little hacked off about it. I had an uncle who buried a bunch of money. He got in trouble. I remember one time when the benefits officer for the company I worked for came in and asked me, where do you want to put your money, Dave? I told him, in a hole in the ground in PVC pipe. And he said, I don't have that option. <laughs> that wasn't an investment option. But that's what the, second, the third guy did because he was afraid. He was afraid. He didn't trust the Master. He was afraid. We have been entrusted with something much more important than bags of gold. The church has been entrusted with the greatest news ever spoken. The church has been entrusted with a message that can raise the dead. Can you imagine if tomorrow, Johnson & Johnson announced that they have a new topical ointment that you can put on a dead person within 15 minutes of death and they will rise. Walk out of the hospital room feeling chipper and joyful. Man, they'd have a kiosk for that thing right in front of the entrance of Walmart, wouldn't they? You walk in there and everybody would know about it. There'd be 15,000 commercials. They'd name it something like Jujimba (laughs) Jab and have people looking happy after they take it in the commercials. And it'd cost $5 million a dose. And politicians would squammer around trying to claim it should be free and all this and they would be right. But that's a pretty good analogy for what the church possesses. A free ointment. A free salve for death. We are in possession of the greatest treasure ever given. The news of Jesus' resurrection. What does Scripture tell us? Paul says that if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and confess with your lips that He is Lord, you will be saved. And what you will be saved from is sin and death. It is the miracle salve. That's why the old hymn says there is a balm in Gilead to save, to heal the sin sick soul. When we read this parable, Don't default to those things that you have and don't let somebody say, oh gosh, if you'll just use your singing voice in the church, God will honor that. God might be calling you to sing other places, not just the church. Who knows? But faithfulness truly is the question here. Too many times pastors have used this text to coerce people into doing things in the church and that's a shame. I don't want to be part of that. So I want to lift up faithfulness here. You have been entrusted with something greater than your individual talents. You have been entrusted with the story that has the power to change somebody's life. Anybody here want to raise your hand and admit the story of Jesus changed your life? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody on Facebook? Y'all can raise your hand out there on Facebook too. But surely we ought to be as the people of Christ, people who realize that this story that Jesus was dead and raised changed our lives somehow. That somehow, as John says, by faith in Christ, we have moved from death to life. We've been raised to something new. We're becoming someone new. Things in us are changing and shifting and rearranging so that we're able to love God and love our neighbor even though our neighbor gets on our nerves. Something is happening to us because we are following Jesus. And if there's any measure of success in this world that matters, that is it. Not how much money you have, how many cars you have, how many houses you have, because when you die, all that junk goes to the probate judge if you don't have an heir. That's how much it matters. And then they split it up and sell it for the public purse. None of that matters. Nothing you can buy for yourself matters. The only thing that matters in this world is the story that you have been entrusted with. That there was One who came who was for us God in the flesh, who came to call us to a different way of life, a way of love and peace and joy, an excellent way, a way of hope. But there were some who refused to receive that story because they believed that the Master was hard. And so they buried that story. And Jesus here today is saying that they were in fact unfaithful to the Master. So the questions for us, dear ones, today is not are we being successful, but something much more important. Are we at the very least willing to To be faithful. Being faithful is hard too. I know that. But are we at least willing to be faithful? Are we at least willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and shape us and change us and make us more and more like Christ? Will we follow Him? Will we follow Him? That's what this parable is really about. And like I said, it's been used in the past to stir people to greatest, greater service in the local church. And that's fine. If that is the way that God is being calling you to be faithful is by offering your talents and your gifts and your abilities in service to the local church, that's wonderful. But you can also serve God out in the world. This one hour a week is not the only time we are called to be faithful. For many people, it is the only time that faithfulness enters their conscience. For many people, the only time they think about Jesus is when they know they're supposed to be in church. Don't be those people. That's what this parable is about. Think about the Master with faithfulness all the time. Be dedicated to serving Him and receive the story that you've been given as a treasure that's worth investing and not hiding away. A treasure that's worth investing. But I want to remind you of something. We're seeing Jesus' story that the guy who was unfaithful, the guy who refused to do anything, He was thrown out into outer darkness. I want you to know that salvation is not based on your works. But faithfulness. Do you have faith in Christ or not? And faith in Christ, the fruit of that is a faithful life. But it's the Spirit of God who produces that fruit in us and not us. We are not faithful of our own strength. We are faithful as the Spirit of God enables us to be faithful. So don't hear this as a call to success. Don't hear this parable as a call to be a successful Christian, a successful pastor, architect, math teacher, whatever it is that you are. This is not a call to be successful in your career. It's a call to be successful in your faith by being faithful. And being faithful sometimes doesn't look like the success that the world wants us to have. Do you hear me, church? I think the other kind of sermon is more fun where you get up and rail on people for not giving enough, not being present enough, not serving enough, and all that kind of stuff, and use this parable to make people feel bad. (laughs) But that's works righteousness. That's claiming that somehow we can behave good enough to deserve heaven. And there's plenty of Scriptures that I can quote to you to refute that idea. But Jesus Himself asked in another parable, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? He's not calling us to success today. He's simply saying to us, don't bury the story in the ground. Don't hide it. It's not just for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.